Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the eighth installment in our Denis Villeneuve movie review series. Today we are reviewing Arrival. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. Now, if you have not heard our previous seven installments, link below, you're also not going to want to miss your guide to Arrival so you get to know the box office, the re- the reception, the Academy Awards, the history of it. That's all in your guide to Arrival that came out last Thursday. The guides always come out Thursdays, the full reviews on Monday. Also down below in the description, there's a lot of great stuff, timestamps, links to our profiles, our Patreon page, um, curated list of different podcasts we think you'll like. So make sure to check down there. There's some great stuff. And while you're at it, make sure to leave us five stars and a written review. That is a great free way to help us out. Alan, I'm curious, did you see Arrival in theaters uh, back at the end of 2016? So, uh, no, I, I missed it in the theater. Um, but at the time that it was released, um, my the college that I was at was able to get like a like a screening of it before it released on like home video and like went out on Blu-ray and stuff like that. So while I didn't see it in the theater, I missed it in the theater. I was able to see it there uh, at my college. They had like a special night to play it. Um, but I haven't seen it since then. I've, I've seen it once. So this is probably in 2016 when I watched it. It was probably closer to Christmas and I haven't seen it since. I own the Blu-ray, but I have only seen it one time and that was back closer to when it released. So I did not see it in theaters either. I first time I saw it was March 24th, 2017, about a little over a month after the Oscars. Um, I was trying to watch all of the best picture movies. They weren't doing a film festival near me um, like they would do in the following years where I'd just be able to go see all of them. Mm. I rented this one, didn't get to see it in theaters. But Alan, did you see the trailer for this movie when it was um, when they were trying to hype it up? Did the trailer interest you at all? Um, I'm curious because uh, I I don't really remember the trailer very well. Ah, I don't rem- really remember it either. I want to say that I did probably catch it in like a different movie, um, but uh, I don't really remember like exactly seeing it. Watching it now, though, this knowing that it's going to be a Denis film, this is very different than anything else that we've seen from him. This is a lot more, I guess, more Hollywood than what uh, I was expecting from Denis. An alien movie that spans the globe done by Denis Villeneuve is not what I was expecting. But the trailer is, I think, does get me, I would say would have got me into the seats had I gone and watched it back in 2016. I I forget the reason why I wasn't able to go, but either way, had I seen this now coming in with more knowledge of Denis um, than what I had back then, I would definitely be in the seats because I would be curious to see what can Denis do with an alien movie uh, of mm-hmm. all things. I do. I will say I do remember the teaser trailer piquing my interest. I don't remember the trailers very well at all. I will say it does make the movie look more exciting than it somewhat really is, which is something we also noted with Sicario. 
I feel like they're misrepresenting his movies somewhat with these trailers. I actually can't say the trailer would get me into theaters, and clearly it didn't. I would be curious to watch it eventually, that's why I did end up renting it at Redbox, but the first time I watched this movie, I actually ended up dozing. <laughs> I think I told my professor about it, uh, my experience with it, and because I remember he was he was raving about it, he was crazy about it, and he's like, no, you have to go back, rewatch it, you've missed some vital information, uh, which kind of makes me think of what, what happened with you, Alan with Denise next film, Blade Runner 2049. I think you right. were so engrossed in taking notes that you missed some key plot points and you were, you weren't enthralled with it on our, on your first watch. That's right. Yeah. I do remember <laughs> that. Yeah. Well, listeners, if you have not seen Arrival and you don't want the film spoiled for you, because there is a big twist in this movie, go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film and then come back here and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. Dr. Louise Banks, played by Amy Adams, and Ian Donnelly, played by Jeremy Renner, are tasked with understanding why aliens have come to Earth. One is a linguist and the other is a scientist, respectively. They are given this task by Colonel Weber, played by Forrest Whitaker. Eventually, they come to learn to communicate with the extraterrestrials, but the visitors' intentions are still unclear. One thing is certain, China, led by General Shang, played by Zi Ma, is ready to blow them out of the sky. All the while, Banks is increasingly troubled by memories of her daughter who passed away from cancer at a young age. Things escalate when the aliens send the message, offer weapon. Captain Marks, played by Mark O'Brien, commits mutiny by detonating explosives while the doctors are still in the spaceship. Right before the bomb goes off, they are given the entire language and safely blown out of the ship. But that is not enough for Banks. While the military is ready to pull out, gearing up for a new world war, a small capsule is sent down to retrieve her. She directly communicates with the alien where she learns that they are not offering a weapon, but rather a gift. They are helping humanity in the past so they can be helped by humanity 3,000 years in the future. Banks comes to the realization she has been given the gift of living outside of time. In order to stop the attack on the aliens, she is able to remember 18 months into the future where she meets General Shang. He tells her the reason he stopped the attack was due to her calling his personal phone and telling him his wife's dying words. Banks saves the world, but realizes she cannot save her daughter from dying. Her daughter, who has not been born yet. Ian will be her husband, and they'll have a little girl named Hannah. Her memories have been of the future. They cannot be changed, but having Hannah in her life, along with the heartbreak of divorce, is worth it because the love and time with her daughter is more important than never experiencing it at all as credits roll. So, like we mentioned uh, just a second ago, uh, this is, in fact, a Denis film, uh, and a Denis film that is dealing with aliens. Um, now, movies with aliens is nothing new. Uh there are plenty of movies, both new and old, that deal with aliens coming to Earth. But I gotta say, this is probably the more, more one of the more different ones that I've seen because usually, of course, they ask the normal questions of why are they here and what do they want. Um, but this we right when they ask that, it takes it a step further and says, well, we first have to you know find a way to communicate those questions to them. Um, and that's when, mm -hmm. when they got to that point, you know, I, I was remembering because I, I've seen this movie before that, oh, right, 
they are not here to be any kind of threat. They're really here to help the humans, which is kind of a subversion of what, you know, I guess what we would be expecting, especially from past movies um, from Hollywood, where the aliens are always the bad guy. Uh, so interesting that, you know, and this is one of those things that kind of keeps coming back around that subversion of expectations where, you know, from what we've seen before with other Hollywood films uh, in terms of uh, aliens, they're always here to harm humans. But this one is the complete opposite. They're here to help the humans so that they can, the humans can help them in the future. Uh, of course, everyone, every, everybody else thinks that they're a danger, but we come to learn that that's not the case. So I thought that was really interesting. And then again, it kind of comes back around of it more and more with other elements other, other than just aliens of that of subversion of expectations. I was not expecting that. I mean, when I, when I had first watched it, uh, which, I mean, it is a Denis film. So, I mean, I guess I don't know what, it, what I was expecting out of this, <laughs> but um, I got to say that very much surprised me. And I, I really do like that aspect to it. Yeah. Going off of what I saw in the trailers, I really didn't know what to expect. I guess I wasn't expecting what we got here for the final product. Mm -hmm. That's why when I first watched this movie, I was pretty surprised. This isn't an action movie. It's not a thriller. It's not high octane really whatsoever. This is, as the creators put it, this is supposed to be high level smart sci-fi, right. which more times than not is not what we get in the mainstream Usually what we get is something action-oriented, even when we get something like Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, which came out just a few years prior. It definitely was a smart science fiction film, but it had a lot of adrenaline mm -hmm. packed into it. It had a lot of mystery and excitement packed into it. This is more of a subdued film. This is a film about humanity, really, more so than anything. The aliens are just kind of the peripheral helpers right. of essentially helping humanity get along, learning to love one another and appreciate the time we have and not spend time, you know, duking it out over territory or other really trivial matters. Um, and that I think that's pretty telling, especially the opening of the film is very sentimental. Get glimpses of a woman and her daughter through various stages of her life and even the final stages of her life. And I'm questioning, I don't know what this has to do with science fiction with, um, you know, you think you're coming into, um, you know, the fault in our stars or something here mm -hmm. all of a sudden, not a rival. But I got to say, I'm already getting emotional and I'm definitely already getting Denis vibes because we have another professor like Hall and Enemy and the college that she teaches at is reminding me of Polytechnique. So I'm already, I'm, this is definitely a Denis film right off the bat, I can right. tell. Yeah, I definitely got a lot of vibes of Enemy when she walks in, she's a college professor and her class, and she goes to, you know, teach whatever students are there for her class, which is like a, a small handful. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, right after that scene, we are kind of just dropped right in the middle of the situation where the aliens are already here. Um, yeah. And she's been pretty much ignoring it, but kind of can't once the you know the the alarm bells ring and they have the school and all the university evacuate but going into that too i have to say i the way that denis builds you know how they how he introduces the these aliens i think is really well done because you only kind of hear about it through the news and through other 
you know, side conversations. Um, and then you, when you do say like a newscast, you only catch a brief glimpse of the ships that they have. And then when you do get to see the ships that they, that are parked at different uh, points in the earth, you don't really get a good sense as to how huge they are until they finally get right up close to it and are going inside of it. Um, and I think that, you know, Denis does a very good job at building that suspense of, and that mystery of what are these things? And at the same time, dealing very well with that sense of scale. The setup is fairly quick. You're right. I was surprised how we have the brief introduction with the woman and her daughter, and then the woman is all alone. And through some clever, you know, placement of dialogue, it seems to be that the daughter has already died and now she is living alone or she's divorced. She's just kind of sad. It, it is weird. It is kind of this weird thing how you would think these aliens have come and it's kind of the end of the world. She seems to be fairly nonchalant about it. She's going on with the rest of her life. She's mm -hmm. going back to teach her classes, even though nobody's there. She's just going home, going to bed, seemingly doesn't have a lot to live for is what I'm getting. And I'm intrigued by this setup because we're focusing on one character while slowly introducing more characters, whereas most alien movies jump around a lot. Once the aliens touch down on Earth, then it's time to jump across the globe and all these characters, and it's very frenetic and frenzied. This isn't like this at all. The storytelling so far is very linear as to how we're being introduced to these, this character. Right. And it is great. I got to say, I love it. When we are, when we finally get to see that ship and it does look like this really weird ship just barely sitting above the earth and the mist coming over the mountains. Yeah. It's a pretty breathtaking shot and it's all one shot. And we're able to see the scale of everything, how we're slowly, slowly moving in and then it moves away from the ship. The camera turns around and settles down with the helicopter on the ground and you can just see how truly massive it is. So that's that's probably one of my favorite things about this movie is just the immense scale, definitely giving me some 2001 vibes with the score. Oh, yeah. With the setup, with um, with how they're introduced going into the alien ship. Yeah, there's a there is even a shot when they're driving up into the underneath part of the alien ship and they, the camera looks up at the ship and it of mm -hmm. course that's a homage to 2001 and the monolith you're right there are definite 2001 space odyssey vibes in this uh and there there are still also some like classic uh al past a alien movies as well in this movie as well so it's very you know it's it while it's one that is an alien movie and not what we would naturally be expecting from a denis film it's it is kind of hearkening to those older films while also at the same time being something that is subverting expectations because it's not really acting like a normal uh, alien movie from what we've seen before. But, you know, we've been kind of talking about cinematography as well. And while we do have a, you know, Roger Dickens did not come back for this one. Um, he would be back for Denis's next film. We've, we got a different guy on this time, Bradford Young. While he's not Roger Deakins, he still does a fantastic job here. And mm -hmm. like we've been talking yes. about just in this opening, right? That sense of scale is all done with the camera. And he does a fantastic job at, you know, wanting you, us wanting to see more of these aliens and wanting to see, okay, well, just how big are they? Because the closer we get to the ship, the bigger things seem to be. 
uh, does a fantastic job, not just in his opening, but of course, throughout this movie. And again, just like past Denis films, it looks great. No surprise there because uh, Denis has such a great eye and always picks the back, the perfect cinematographers or DOPs to work with. I agree. I don't have much issue with the first act of this movie, the way that it's paced, it's set up. Very impressed with the cinematography. Mm-hmm. Maybe some things could be a little brighter, but we we can talk about we can talk about that here in a little bit. But and you know the music is very ominous as they're heading into the ship, and mm-hmm. then gravity reverses. They have control over gravity. It's really well paced. He knows how to pace this. I know some people probably have some issues with it, but I don't. I really like the entrance into the ship, yeah. and it is actually kind of subverts our expectations. Because once they get into the to the ship, the first contact scene for us is cut short. It cuts to them getting sprayed off from the hazmat suits and just kind of the smile, which I thought that was very interesting. Once again, this just sets up immediately telling the audience we're not here to focus, really focus on the aliens. We're putting the focus back on the characters. Mm-hmm. So we get to see their emotions after meeting the aliens, after the first encounter. And... You know, the filmmakers are telling us that is what's most important here with this story is these characters. Um, as for the design of the aliens, they kind of remind me from of that giant spider walking over the Toronto yeah. oh, yeah. and enemy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that you're right. The they definitely have that very similar design from the giant spider over the city and enemy. You're right. I'm with you. I definitely from not from being the professor walking into a classroom and also the design of these aliens, I, there was a lot being pulled from enemy. One of the aspects of this movie that we have touched on, but did surprise me the most is really kind of the main thrust of the plot is figuring out language. It's really not worried about, are they going to shoot us? Are they going mm-hmm. to, you know, suck our brains out or something like that? It's really a matter of understanding their language I'm an English major. I graduated from college with a degree in English. I've studied other languages before. I've actually dreamed in Arabic before. I studied Arabic for four years. So to me, this does pique my interest, the linguistics of it all. How would you figure this out? I am surprised that audiences, you know, liked this movie as much as they did because Mm -hmm. like we said, it's really not, you know, here to throw you back in your seat and take you on a sci-fi thrill ride. It's far more of a nuanced exploration of linguistics, language, what would it be if aliens came to Earth? And then even halfway through the movie, there is a montage, but it's done as a documentary style, which did strike me as very interesting and probably a good choice as a way to kind of speed up the passage of time and get us more towards the point of where we need to be to finish out the latter half of the story. Right. And you, yeah, you mentioned that the focus is, you know, not necessarily on the aliens per se, but on the humans. And of course, like we, you know, like you mentioned, the big thing about this movie is, uh, is communication and language. And we get to see that, you know, everyone from every country has some kind of representative on a big, like, Zoom call, basically. Uh, <laughs> and they were giving updates yeah. and they're communicating back and forth as to, like, what's happening on there and with the aliens, because, there are 12 different ships that are parked in different part in different parts of the world. Um, mm-hmm. And we get to see how 
while the alien, we find out later that the aliens are here to give the gift of their language to the humans so that they can use it to help them later on. Um, we do get to see how on the human side, uh, things are not so great. Uh, it doesn't take very long for some trouble to arise. And of course it gets to a point where everyone just signs off and there, no one's talking to each other and China and Russia are planning to attack the ship that's near them and things just kind of go nuts. So of, of course, uh, while, you know, learning and understanding what the aliens are here for is a big aspect of this movie. At the same time, communication just in general um, is, of course, a big aspect to this movie. Um, I know that they talk about, well, I, we mentioned a, a bit ago that, you know, we can ask the question of what are you here for and what is your purpose? Um, but the biggest, you know, problem of getting to that point is we have to learn their language and find a way to, you know, tell them and have them understand the questions that we're asking them, right? It's the same thing with the humans. They have to, you know, while they're not working together, you know, they are making weird decisions that it may or may not uh, influence the rest of the world. Like we're going to, you know, we're going to fire at this alien ship and they're not talking to each other. And of course that fixes at the end. But of course, communication and understanding is a, a key part to the story every, in almost every aspect. Yeah, communication really is the crux of the entire story. And our main character after she encounters the aliens, begins to have memories of her daughter. Mm -hmm. Now we come to find out at the end of the movie, this daughter is yet to be born. And that's why Banks is so confused this entire time why she is having these memories. We think she's just dealing with this painful loss, but come to find out it's these memories. I do like these scenes are intercut throughout the movie because I think it sets up a... Nice parallel between her yeah. learning to communicate with the alien and then also oftentimes there's a communication breakdown between her and her daughter and probably just kind of the struggle parents go through. How do you relate big adult concepts to kids, especially when kids are going through something as horrible as dying mm -hmm. and that's a really heavy subject matter but i think there is some very nice parallels and similarities throughout this story of how she's struggling to communicate something you know far beyond her reach and then ultimately how will she communicate with her daughter and then of course on a broader global scale she is able to communicate with um general shang and right. tell him his wife's dying last words and that is able to ultimately unite the world seemingly at 18 months later they're at this international conference and the world has been united you get to see all the flags together and then kind of the alien flag draped in the middle so that's ultimately what the story is about bringing that together but i i gotta say i really love i think it's a beautiful depiction of a parent's love for a child despite knowing the tragic end. I mean, every parent, when they give birth to a child, knows that their child will die someday. They don't know when. Sadly, this child died at a very young age through some rare disease. But nevertheless, that's probably my favorite theme of this story is that it's, Denis describes this film being about mourning. It mm -hmm. is about mourning, but in the end, it's also about enjoying life, you know, loving each other, enjoying the moments we have while we have them make the most of the time we have shockingly sentimental for 
a science fiction movie. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest question that it finally reaches at the very end is, you know, if are you are you still going to give birth to somebody to your child if you know that they're going to die? Like, is it really worth the pain and the suffering that both or both parties are going to go through if you know that they're going to end up dying early? Uh, because, yeah, her daughter ends up dying from a pretty rare disease and she's not very old at all. And the movie kind of lands on, well, of course, you know, the experience of, you know, going through that and, you know, having a, a, a child with somebody, you know, is unparalleled to not doing it, uh, even if they, you know, have to go down the path of, you know, dying early. Yeah, I, I love that sentiment at the very end where, you know, we finally it finally wraps back around. We find out that wait, all of these flashbacks, these seemingly fa- flashbacks that we've been that we've been uh, that have been popping up every once in a while are actually flash forwards, and that she marries Jimmy, Jeremy Renner's character, and they have a child, and uh, then they divorce, and the child ends up dying, and what we've been seeing is actually flash forwards, not flashbacks, like another subversion of expectations. And it's an interesting way, the interesting route that Denis decides to take instead of focusing on either the action or the mystery of the aliens to such a degree that that is the film, it goes a different route. It focuses more on, you know, more important things in life, like this big question of, you know, if you're going to get, would you still give birth to something that you know is going to die early or that you know is going to die in general? Uh, with the question of the answer, of course, being of course, I would, um, of course. Yeah. And I will say my last positive is the production design, how these scenes are shot with the mother and daughter. There is a lot of kind of earth, earthy type, you know, settings where it's a very barren landscape where this thing is at, which I think ultimately is trying to give us this feeling of kind of going back to the beginning. We're kind of going back to, the womb where everything was just kind of, you know, barren and simplified. And uh, I got to say, I really like her house also. I thought that was a nice location. It just kind of opens out onto the sea. Mm-hmm. You think of water, you think of birth, you know, even when they go into the alien, you could be thinking of it as a birth canal. So I would say there is a lot of symbolism here um, with their choice of location settings that I really liked. So I think it did deserve the production design Oscar nomination. Yeah. Uh, I, and kind of ex- extending off of that too, you, these all 12 of these ships, we come to learn, they look to all kind of connect together to make some kind of egg looking thing because they all have mm-hmm. a, like a similar shape to being like the out curve of an egg, uh, which of course is, you know, reference to many other uh, reference to birth so just exceeding off of that even the design of the ship is reflective of birth in a certain way one of the things that i do feel is seriously lacking for me i'm not i'm not sure if you'll agree with this alan Mm -hmm. but i feel like there should be more tension in this film and i'm not feeling it there are her kind of weird memories of the daughter we've talked about halfway through we get some international tension you know how will it pay off i think the only time this movie really hits tension is once the aliens say offer weapon and then you know that's the tension i think this movie needs that's where we are kind of more so questioning i think everything up to that point has been 
almost this kind of nice, you know, melodic look at, you know, linguistics, aliens. It's very interesting. I guess what I'm saying is there needs to be something more to grip me on this story. There needs to be more of a why. There needs to be more of a question mark that I really just don't think we get until probably the beginning of the third act is when I feel like things begin to pay off. Otherwise, at that point, I'm I'm just kind of sitting there like, okay, where are we going here? You, you mm-hmm. got to pull me in a little more. I I I think I can see where you're getting at. Um, I I think a little bit differently, mostly because uh. I I understand what you're saying because you want you know a little bit more like you said you want a little bit more attention throughout this film throughout this movie and there isn't a whole lot um, it's mostly there towards the very end there aren't you know points where they all of a sudden hit a roadblock have to go around it or anything but um, I think for me you know it is that subversion that you know we aren't really nothing's really falling apart like we would think it would. Uh, and so we have the mystery of, okay, well then, you know, why are the aliens here, which they don't really reveal until I think about 45 minutes from the end. Um, that's the biggest mystery. And th- I think that is like as biggest, uh, I think what's what Denise is going for the most is trying to keep and retain the mystery of, you know, why are the aliens here? What is this weapon? Why would they help why would they want to help the humans in any shape or form? You know, that kind of a thing. What, why are there 12 of them? Why is China and Russia going to war against theirs, the one that's closest to them? There's a lot of mystery surrounding this movie. I think that's what drives it for the most part. Um, but I can see what you're saying in terms of tension. There isn't a whole lot of tension or suspense, um, especially in uh, the later, but the midway point in the later half of, this movie i i I do see what you're saying and don't get me wrong listeners i'm not saying i need some crazy tension going on here Mm -hmm. i'm saying as when i say tension i mean problems these characters i feel like need more problems to solve because it's fairly smooth sailing except trying to cut through some bureaucratic red tape which is ultimately for the most part, very easy for them to get through that's not much of an issue until towards the very end of the movie but even like I said, I, I like how it's kind of treated as this documentary style halfway through, but at the same time, that gives the writers an easy out as to how they solve these language problems. And maybe they just don't want to bore us with how they figured it all out. But at the same time, it does feel a little bit too much like I'm watching a documentary and I'm not watching a narrative story with real problems that these people have to figure out. It, it all just feels a little bit too easy. I will say, in the end, I'm just left with, okay, she's able to figure out the language, she figures out the gift, she is essentially the chosen one, this is her destiny, and I don't have any problem with that being her destiny, but everybody else is pretty much left in the dark, except for her, and I'm just saying there needs to be more problems for these people to get around, and that's just... uh, Even if that is not the movie that they're making, which it's clearly not, I would say just to maintain my general interest there has to be more complexity there has to be more problems for me so that's one of my problems um another problem that i have is ian isn't given much of a character which is concerning considering he's half of hannah hannah who you know is their child he's the other missing half we never knew about 
I'm left with questions. Why does he leave them? He he. I have no indication that he would be an absent father that would abandon his family, especially because if his daughter gets sick, that makes him kind of all the more a bad guy. And we're just never given that. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of chemistry here. We're just getting the tip of the chemistry with these two characters' introductions. But it, it is unfortunate that I think all of these characters have almost nothing to them except Amy Adams. They put all of their heart and focus into just her and really nobody else. Yeah, I'll agree with you halfway on Ian. Um, they do say that uh, because Amy Adams... She learns the language and she starts to think like the aliens do where she kind of starts to think out of time and she knows what's going to happen to her daughter. That when she explains that to Ian, that's that's what scares him away and he decides to leave. Uh, but I do agree. Um, I do wish that there was a little bit more to Ian because the movie, it's, he's very clearly an important character in the story. And I would say the most we get out of his character is right when he's introduced, where, you know, they already, him and uh, Dr. Banks are already butting heads, um, where, she, of course, she's saying that, you know, without communication, uh, we can't really understand anything, whereas he's totally on the scientific side of, you know, finding proof and that kind of a thing. And so they already automatically hit butt heads at the very beginning when they first introduce Ian. And then he starts to come onto her side, uh, and there's not much discussion in terms of science and language. Uh, it, there's something there, but they don't really go down that route. Um, but that's about as far as his character goes. So I'll agree with you there. I think that Jimmy Reynolds' character, while you know, is important to the story, is not given a whole lot of development. I would say he kind of just meshes with Amy Adams's side of the story here which is not necessarily bad, but I think that there would have been an interesting discussion if we decided to go down that route of, you know, the difference and the importance between science and communication or language. I agree. There is stuff left unexplored that I think they could definitely play off there, especially if he's going to be a supporting character. I, I get it. This is really a one character movie she is the our main character she's the one mm -hmm. we follow it would be very hard to incorporate him into this too much i think but in their interactions they're mostly very business-like um which i get it that's kind of just where, where the character is needed at the moment i i'm just wanting more chemistry i'm wanting more nuance i find it incredibly hard to believe they go through this whole situation and then she tells him, hey, you know, our daughter's going to get this disease. And that's when he abandons her. He so that's he cannot believe that she knows this for Pete's sake when she goes through that. I mean, there there had to be clearly far more going on in their marriage, but it's all too surface level. We just don't have time. We skim over it. Ultimately, I'm left a little disappointed. I, I'm just kind of finding some of this stuff to be unbelievable between their characters and how it all ends up. And of course, we know next to nothing about him. So it's hard to make any any opinion up about him and his characters. Yeah. And um, speaking of characters, Forrest Whitaker's characters writing, I think is bad. He mm. asks too many questions, which makes it seem he's simply here for the audience to understand the main character's motivations for doing what she does. And anytime you put a character into a story that is simply there to ask questions, 
just to give a reason to explain to the audience. You know you've probably failed because you're really supposed to show, not tell. Unfortunately, we get that here. Somehow it got nominated for Best Screenplay. Um, it didn't win. I don't think it should have It should have won, but I do have some serious issues with the writing there. Yeah, I mean, he isn't in a whole lot. Uh, I mean, he again, he's an important character, uh, but yeah, he is not. He doesn't have a whole lot of screen time um, in this movie. You're right. He is kind of there to be kind of the lead in for this is what, you know, what normally happens with an alien movie. We need to find <laughs> out what they're here for and what their purpose is and that kind of a thing. Um, and th- I think that it rightfully goes down the route of not going down that route. Uh, but you're right. I think that, you know, he is very much the asking the questions kind of guy to get the answers, to get the exposition from the other characters in the story. He's not given a whole lot to do. There's not a whole lot to his character. And it's not like there really never needs to be a whole lot to his character. Um, he's pretty much here, like you said, to be the guy who is the answer, who is asking the questions that the audience is asking. Um, and I didn't really expect his character to be anything, you know, anything super deep or anything super explored. The real stars of the show are Amy Adams and uh, Jeremy Renner, especially Amy Adams in the story. It's hard because coming off of Sicario, where there is a lot of nuance to these characters, Mm -hmm. even if they're not deeply developed, there's enough to these character relationships in that movie that you're really pulled in by the drama of it all. And I just find that seriously lacking here in this movie unfortunately yeah yeah i agree sicario is very much a character-driven story this is not quite the same thing this is more of um you know it's more of a thematically driven story with this one it wants to ask the deeper questions of you know well if you knew your daughter was going to die early would you still give birth to her uh it wants to ask that kind of a question but not necessarily go too deep with the characters like Sicario. Sicario is very much a character-driven story. This one, not so much. My last thing is really just a nitpick. I think this movie is too dark. I think sometimes it definitely works for the aesthetic of the film, but at other times, I I mean, your TV probably has to be really incredible to handle something this dark. At times, I think it's just too dark. I think we Hmm. needed to introduce something else to the palette there because all the time all of the shots are either kind of these dark yellows mostly dark grays i really really love the interior of the alien spaceship and there's just that bright white panel that they operate off of and everything's dark that works but i just feel like to kind of wash out the entire color palette i get it it's a nitpick it's this is totally subjective um not everybody's going to agree with me but sometimes i just felt like it was too dark for me, for my taste. Yeah, I, maybe it's your TV because I had I had literally no problem with uh, how this movie was lit. With at least for me, I I didn't even stand out to me at all. Hmm. You know that it was that it came off as too dark or anything. One nitpick for me is uh, sometimes the and this is I guess kind of really a nitpick, but the CGI can be kind of weird. I yep. know that this movie is kind of <laughs> famous for its. Um, Amy Adams's CG hair yeah. uh, there in the, towards the end of the movie. That's probably the worst example. It's funky. Um, yeah, it is real funky. <laughs> That's definitely the worst example of this movie. There is a shot that I had to go, I had to rewind and look closer at because I, I didn't think I saw what actually happened. Um, it's when they first hop into the alien ship uh, for the first encounter. You see Jeremy Renner's character. He's the last one 
off of uh, whatever that thing is and where the gravity shifts. So his body in the suit, the hazmat suit is all CG, but his face is real. And when I looked really close, when he was, when he looks back and then looks back up um, towards the camera, his face was like jittering uh, <laughs> as it as he was turning back around. Yeah, I believe uh, which it. yeah, which looks to me that it was um, a match problem or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so that's a nitpick. Uh, there are times when it looks freaking great, like with the alien ship, or sometimes with the aliens themselves, especially off at a distance. They it looks really really good, um, but there are also times when it not doesn't not look so good. Yeah, and you know they're working off a forty seven million dollar budget. So yeah, I think mediocre CGI is to be expected. I wish they could have had a bit of a bump in it. I don't think it deteriorates the movie for me whatsoever. No, no. I'm still able to, you know, appreciate it for what it's worth. But you're right. It's noticeable for a 2016 movie. It's noticeable. There's just mm. things out there that are much, much better than this, unfortunately. Yeah. One other thing for me, this one's uh, not as exactly a nitpick, but um, the character of Amy Adams, I guess we did talk about characters a little, uh, just a second ago, but coming back around to characters, the character of Dr. Banks, um, I don't see, well, I, I only see Amy Adams as Dr. Banks in this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't, it's not like a, exactly a transformative role, which is, you know, for the, <laughs> The character that is Dr. Banks, I would have, I guess, liked that, you know, it's, I don't necessarily see the actor playing a character, but the actor is the character. Yeah. Um, yeah. I only see Amy Adams in this movie. Uh, I don't see Dr. Banks from you Amy know, Adams. I'll agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think Forrest Whitaker is trying to do something different here with his accent and mm -hmm. even Jeremy Renner, particularly with his introduction. He does seem very different to me as well. Amy Adams here, on the other hand, is, yeah, Amy Adams. She's just kind of doing the same thing. Not to say she does a bad job. I think she right. does a good job with the performance here. I just, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say this. I don't think we're going to get anything groundbreaking with the characters. That's why you notice this movie got a lot of technical nominations. It got directing, best picture overall. Got nothing in the acting categories, which is very telling. All right. With Johan Johansson's score, did you get any vibes of Hans Zimmer's score from the Batman movies, Batman Begins, particularly with the young Bruce Wayne scenes or some of those scenes? I, I In my mind, it was getting very close to plagiarism. Oh, I, I guess I didn't see that at all wow. uh, with this score. Yeah. I mean, I even went back and listened to it uh, on its own. I didn't get that at all. Hmm. Okay. Because I sure I felt it, um, particularly with Amy Adams and the daughter, some of the stuff with the strings there. I'm like, did you just pull this? Well, and it, it, I guess it's hard for me um, not to think that because during the editing process, they would put actually put John Williams tracks over everything. Um, uh, yeah. Temp tracks just to drive it forward. And I don't know. I mean, I know it has nothing to do with Hans Zimmer, but to me, there is too much of a similarity between that Hans Zimmer score. I'm like, it's, it's so similar, but maybe, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. Um, I will say this score is very kind of 
divided with itself, it seems like, where there is these very kind of uplifting, harmonious moments. And then at the same time, there is these really throaty, dark, ominous moments with the spaceship. And it's just wildly different end of the spectrum. I like the score for the most part. I don't think it's his um, best score. But um, did you have any positives or negatives with the score? Yeah, I I think that last week uh, with Sicario, I, I think I like that score a bit better. This one definitely, it's one of those things where in the movie, it sounds like it fits in pretty well. Outside the movie, it's a very different story because it's kind of like last week, I mentioned that most of the score for Sicario is lots of drones, although there's a bit more to it than that. This one very much is more of that. It's more of just a lot of droning, which is very atmospheric and really builds the scene and builds the tone. Um, but not exactly something that, you know, I would go out and like actively listen to. Like I, I like this track from Arrival. I think the main theme is really good. We hear at the beginning and at the end um, with the character of, with the character of Dr. Banks. Um, that was probably the most standout portion of the score. Uh, everything else um, was lots of drones fit the film in the moment, um, but not necessarily outside of it. So I like it, but it's not my favorite from him either. Well, I'm curious if that is going to be the main thing about your rating and recommendation. I'm I'm very curious mm-hmm. how you will put this one, Alan. What is your rating and recommendation for Arrival? It was a treat to come back to Arrival. I, I haven't seen it for about, we'll see, it came out in 2016. So almost five years, I'd say probably about four, uh, four or years or so that I have you know, come back and watched it. I've only seen it twice now, once for this review and once in the past. I, I gotta say, it, it's still very much a treat. I do like being subverted. I like, you know, how it plays with the idea of this is what a normal movie would do with this kind of a uh, of a story and then goes the complete opposite direction. Um, I like those, I, I like that, you know, this, the crux of the story is all about human communication and understanding and empathy rather than are the aliens here to really kill us and then being attacked and or attacking the the aliens? Um, that's not really in this movie. It's, it's there, but it's not the main focus. And I think that's what I like most about it is the way, where Denis decides to take the movie, this movie's focus and what is really important in this story is stuff that is, you know, a lot, has a lot more meaning and a lot more meat under it than what a lot of other Hollywood movies would do with this. There are some interesting aspects to it. The characters in general, I feel, are pretty lacking, um, especially compared to Sicario, where they were really strong and well-defined. This one, Amy Adams is the best, and that's about it. Um, but I think as an overall package, it's definitely a mu- I think it's definitely a must-see. Uh, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10, but still a high recommend. I'm not really sure if I should call this Denny's film. He didn't have a lot to do with the story, mostly with the direction of the film and aesthetic influences. Denis hasn't officially written a screenplay since Incendies, and I'm really missing his writing. I'm attributing the bulk of my issues not to Denis, but to screenwriter Eric Heiser. Not to say it's a bad story, but the previous Denis-directed films have had much stronger scripts. I I just don't find this one compelling. At times, it's even bad. Visually, audibly, technically, acting, all of those aspects are great. Unfortunately, I don't find myself pulled in by this plot. There needs to be more tension, and when there is tension, it's fairly light. I really do appreciate themes this story promotes about love and sacrifice. It's somewhat haunting, yet uplifting once you realize 
Dr. Banks will go through all this pain because love is worth more than not loving at all. Experiencing life together is far greater than saving yourself some heartbreak. At the heart, this is a very Christian message, actually, something Hollywood rarely champions in today's films. Maybe it's the immense hype surrounding this movie, some claiming it to be the greatest film of the year, some of the decade and others of all time. It's hard not to get my hopes up when Denis' films, after his first three, have knocked it out of the park for me. I hate to say it, but Arrival, despite its positives, is just a good film, not a great one. I would like to revisit it someday just for the world building, but not necessarily for the characters. Banks is a fascinating character, I really like her, but everyone around her crumbles, leaving me with mixed emotions as to my interest. Also, the special features, where the crew talked about the film, did leave me with a bad taste in my mouth, since they believed they were just making some grand masterpiece. I'm sure they think they did, but I don't see it. There's not much here for me to return to. Arrival receives 6 stars out of 10, with a very mild recommend. I am actually dropping my rating by one star. Initially, I gave this film seven stars. Gotcha. I mean, at least we have this. This is the most, um, I guess, the most positive of all the other Denis films that we've reviewed, aside from maybe August 32nd. This is one that's mm -hmm. not so oppressive and depressing yep. like we've seen with like Prisoners or Sicario or Enemy or things like that. This is very much a movie that, while it, it is still Denis, it's not one that is, you know, oppressive or, you know, anything that's like super dark. Mysterious, yeah. yes, but at least it has a more brevity to it than what we've seen before. A nice break from Denis after uh, a lot of movies from him. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. That is actually something he said in an interview with Deadline. He was saying how he was actually very happy to kind of get out of the darkness of as you said, Sicario, Prisoners, Enemy, Polytechnique, very heavy films, and he was really ready to get out of there, so he was happy to do right. something much more uplifting. Yeah, I am uh, kind of disappointed, though, I will say, because I didn't know what to expect coming into this movie. I just knew my personal expectations. I remember thinking it was fine, but then looking at the scores just crazy high scores and then the his past movies i've given two tens one nine and an eight for his past what four movies mm -hmm. so and then if my memory holds blade runner is another 10 out of 10 for both of us so i thought i thought we were going nowhere but up like i said i still think that i like this movie but just the more I think about it, the more it's just not not very memorable for me, unfortunately. Like his other films really emotionally resonated with me, I will say. That's fair. Do you remember your first rating, Alan? I'm curious if your ratings changed at all. It actually has. I have it still on IMDb here. Let me pull it up real quick. So my original rating was an eight. Um, mm -hmm. I remember being quite happy with it when I first watched it. It's gone down since then by one point, um, but it was originally an eight when I watched it back in well 2016 or whenever I watched it. Yeah, I was checking out some of um, our other friends on Letterboxd seeing what their scores were and they were really high. I think Thomas mm -hmm. gave it a, if I could be mistaken, I believe he gave it a 10 out of 10 though. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm missing out on something. I'm ready to watch this movie. But for me, I'm going to just be happy in the minority. 
of thinking it's it's fine, but it's not great. But I am curious, right. Alan, would you pick this one up on Blu-ray? Yeah, I definitely would. I mean, I already have it, but I absolutely <laughs> would if I hadn't had it, if I hadn't purchased it. Um, I'm sure I would probably grab it at some point. Um, I think I got it from Walmart for actually pretty cheap from uh, a number of years ago. So, yeah. yeah, yes. I do also own it on Blu-ray as well. I picked it up last year for about five bucks, somewhere somewhere between five and seven bucks. I thought we were going to be reviewing Dune last year. So I bought yeah. Arrival and that didn't happen. What other um, film, TV or video game or even book recommendations do you have for the listeners? So I have three recommendations. Um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, a classic alien movie. Signs, which we did about uh, about a year ago around this, uh, a bit more than a year ago, uh, for In Night Shyamalan. And of course, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, mentioned that there's a couple of homages. There's one where it looks, it pans up and looks at the big alien ship very much uh, harkening off of Chosen One, I think it's kind of hard, you know, most science fiction films are probably at some point compared to Chosen One A Space Odyssey, but definitely definitely recommend if you haven't seen it. I'm going to be recommending Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Steven Spielberg movie, gave me some mm. thoughts of that. I'm actually going to be recommending a book, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, where I think most of these ideas of her memory existing outside of time I have a hard time believing this isn't taken from Slaughterhouse Five, where the main character is unstuck from time essentially, and he's able to live outside of time. It's a great book, highly recommended. Um, I'm also going to be recommending M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. I think that's another kind of small scale look at alien stuff. Um, and then my final recommendation is going to be a more recent one. I'm going to be recommending Ad Astra, another science fiction movie mm -hmm. about parent-child relationships. I think all of those things I recommended are better than this movie. I really liked Ad Astra. I, I am curious though, Alan, kind of a question I was thinking about while watching this movie. Yeah. If somebody threw this movie on, you watched it, and then they said, this is actually Christopher Nolan's new film. What did you think of it? Would you believe this is a Christopher Nolan movie? Because I think of all the movies we've reviewed so far, this one is, I feel like it's very close to a Christopher Nolan style directed film. Yeah, I, I can, I would say I can see some, uh, some Nolan in this movie, but I would say ultimately, I don't think that this is a a Nolan film. I wouldn't believe him necessarily. I would say that there are some similarities here. I think that uh, whoever did direct this maybe had some inspiration from Nolan, but I ultimately don't see Nolan in this movie. Um, but I can see why people would maybe make that assumption that Nolan has something to do with it. Uh, there isn't this, there wouldn't, there isn't his uh, classic montage where it intercuts like three or four different scenes into one big intense action sequence that's not in this movie. Um, but I would say it sure is taking some off of no one, but I don't see no one in this movie. It, it is very interesting, though, that Denis and Nolan put out a science fiction movie with mm -hmm. very similar themes and concept. I'm thinking of Matthew McConaughey and Murph. He wants to save his daughter. They even said they were going to have a very, very similar ending that they had to change because Interstellar beat him to the punch. Right. Um, I did check. It looks like you gave um, Interstellar and Arrival seven out of ten. You gave it the exact same score. 
So could you state for the record if you like one better than the other? Um, that's a tough question. Um, because it's a tough question because they go in two very different routes because I attribute Interstellar to be more of a giant space epic, more akin to 2001 A Space Odyssey, whereas Arrival is more of an introspective look um, at asking a big question about father-child, or I guess daughter and child relationships, um, and whether or not to give birth. Uh, it's That's a tough question. I. That one's going to take some thought to really give a, you know, a definitive answer as to which one I'd say I'd find to be better. Um, that That's a tough question. I can't really say. Personally, I'm going to say I like Interstellar better. I know a lot of times people will compare Denis and Nolan. That's the whole reason I brought it up. And because mm-hmm. Oscar nominated, highly, highly critically acclaimed, came out within two years of each other. Personally, Interstellar's the one for me. I gave that one a nine out of ten. It, it is weird, though, because depending on who you ask... Depending on which score you're looking at, Arrival just blows Interstellar out of the park. But then mm-hmm. other scores will just, uh, Interstellar will blow Arrival out of the park. So it's just weird, weird who you ask who is better. So I thought that'd be a fun exercise for us to determine what it what we thought. Yeah, I think, I think Arrival is more consistent with what it's going for. But Interstellar has the big epic huge feel to it of a big journey um going for it mm-hmm. i think that's for me i think they're pretty even gotcha can you can you say where um you would put ad astra maybe just for a fun third option you know i you know i need to watch ad astra again because i watched it for the oscars and i remember liking it i would say it would probably be Pretty close, but probably below these two movies. Mm, but I okay. do want to watch it again to really make that decision. Gotcha. Well, audiences didn't have to wait long for Denis' next science fiction movie. It would be his second one. They only had to wait 10 months and 25 days for his Blade Runner film. We've actually already reviewed Blade Runner 2049. We bring That's it right. up all the time because it really is one of our favorites. So we've reviewed... The first Blade Runner, the sequel, and the Blade Runner sequel, Soldier. So uh, we will be linking those below. Check out our reviews. We've already got our reviews up for that. But what is coming up in the next few weeks? Well, we are actually going to be doing a spinoff series of sorts. We're going to be reviewing all of the Dune films leading up to Denis' 10th film, Dune, which will our, our review for that will drop November 1st. So next week, we will be reviewing Jodorowsky's Dune, which is a documentary, and then David Lynch's Dune after that. And then the Sci-Fi 2000 series Dune, we will be taking a little break, unfortunately, because they pushed um, Dune back by a couple weeks. So we will be doing Mm -hmm. Halloween Kills and then the Halloween special Sunday, October 31st. So listeners, you're not going to want to miss out on those episodes. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to share with your friends and family. We love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. Gotta say, Alan, this was an interesting conversation. I wasn't sure how this one was going to go, considering we've been doing nothing but singing Denise praises for the past few times. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really actually excited to revisit Blade Runner. I'm personally just going to be revisiting 
um, the show, the movie, I should say, mm -hmm. um, before I see Dune, just because I love it and I want to see how it fits into every into its entire oeuvre of films since we've been watching them this year yeah i agree i'm gonna i i'm probably also gonna revisit the original blade runner 2 because i just love that movie um and i've been kind of wanting to watch it so i'll probably watch both that and 2049 uh because i love both of them it'd be fun to go back to that movie because i don't think i've seen it well I, I haven't seen it all the way through since we reviewed it uh, i've seen bits and pieces of it um since then but so excited to get back on go back and see those again well listeners the question after the show is if you could know the future would you want to um no i gotta say it's a hard pass for me i'm i'm with you <laughs> i am i'm on the side i'm on the fence of i don't really want to know uh if i had the option i would say don't give me the option i don't want to know well, Alan, thank you for joining me. Sure thing. Listeners, thank you for joining us. We will see you next week with Jordorowski's Dune. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Links to our profiles, our Patreon page, um, curated list of different podcasts we think you'll like after this one. So make sure to check down there. There's great. <coughs> <coughs> Easy. Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> well, listeners, if you have not seen Arrival and you don't want the foam, the foam, I can't talk. <laughs> I mean, at least we have this. This is the most... Um, Let's see, how do I put this? The most uh, happier, most happiest. <laughs>